Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, we speak about infidelity from the perspective of a woman. I didn't meet my biological dad until I was two. Mm. And so those first two years of life, I didn't have a male in my life. And mm. I've, as, as I've gone to school and I've understood attachment, I'm, I'm recognizing um, what a deep hole I had um, in that male figure. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions, and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences, as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now. Today's episode just kind of fell into my lap. 
uh, I was scheduled to meet with somebody else today uh, who just was in the process of moving. And in that process, she doesn't have any internet connection. So the podcast couldn't happen. The interview couldn't happen. So last minute, I went onto Instagram and I put out a post to my community there and I asked who wants to be on the show tomorrow. Just send me a little story about you and um, I'll pick I'll pick somebody. And the first one that came in was the first one I picked. And I read her story and the part that got me was how she experienced she experienced infidelity from the lens of childhood trauma. And what I mean by that is she was able to link the two together. My childhood trauma is what was driving my infidelity. And what's so magical about the session or the the interview rather is how what sparked her to look outward from her marriage was her husband's pornography addiction. And so if you didn't listen to last week's episode, episode 29, it was all about pornography addiction. And it was a man named Ben I spoke with. And it was so amazing that the follow-up would have a woman who experienced her man addicted to pornography and how that affected her and what her body did with that. So I couldn't have asked for a better a better um, mistake or a better cancellation, let's say. There, there really are no mistakes. So um, please, please welcome to my, my little show here, um, Nicole Garvey. Okay, so I want to welcome Nicole Garvey to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And, you know, a little background, um, and I mean a little because I've never met Nicole before, but uh, I put out a post yesterday because my, my guest um, last minute lost internet connection, so she was unable to be on today, but she'll be on in a couple weeks. And I thought, I'll reach out to my, um, my group on Instagram. You know, I call it a group. I don't like to say followers. It feels strange. So I know <laughs> community. I'll reach out to my Instagram community. And um, Nicole was the first one to respond. And I read her her story and I thought it was the perfect experience to have on the podcast today. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, it's episode 29. It's about the link between um, pornography, addiction, and trauma. And today, Nicole is bringing in an additional lens to that conversation uh, with her own story, and I'm really glad it's a female. You, you go by female, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. It's a it's a female story, a woman's story about um, sex addiction and um, um, infidelity. We can call it, I guess, mm-hmm. and how that manifested for you and where that came from. So I'm really happy to have your input here today. And, and I'll also say Nicole has never talked about this publicly, so um, yeah. she's my hero right now, and she can say whatever she wants or not wants to say. It's up to her. Um, so. Thank you for being here. And, and, and just tell me how you're feeling right now. Like what's coming up for you before we yeah. even jump in? Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm nervous. Um, I've been very open and transparent about um, my story with close friends and family and anyone who I think it would help, but I've never done it in a public platform like this. So um, there's a lot of um, nerves and... Um, I guess just fear that um, 
I won't be able to fully articulate things the way that I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also really excited because I'm at the very beginning of my career and I feel like um, this is so out of my comfort zone. And so I feel like that this is the perfect way to start a new year of doing the things that I feel drawn to do, but have been too afraid to do. So I'm mm. really, really grateful for this <laughs> bizarre opportunity that just kind of popped into my lap. It's amazing how that happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful because what I've learned from this work I've done and, and just from my own sharing of my own trauma over the years is how much one person's sharing of their story helps thousands of other people. So your sharing today is going to lead so many other people to um, a sense of clarity and safety in themselves. Yeah. So I thank you. And I'm, I'm happy to dive right in just, just around essentially what we're talking about today is now I'm just, I'm going off of your words. You identified with having a sex addiction. Is that what you would call it? Or what will you tell me what you would call it? I think it was more of a relational addiction. Um, but I think as a woman, I learned, well, we learn early on that sex is how we keep men. Mm-hmm. Um, sex is how we draw them in and, and they meet our needs. And so um, I think I would have been content for my affairs to have been strictly relational, but I don't, in my head, I didn't think that that would keep them around very long. And so I, I easily allowed the relationships to become sexual. Um, but I've done a lot of work in therapy and I've had to really grapple with, um, was this a sex addiction? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if I'm honest, it, it wasn't. It was um, very relational. I think it's a really important piece to to highlight is how um, like a relational addiction, so the addiction to finding safety or security in somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. To try to secure that, we fawn. And a big part of fawning, more for women than men, but men as well, is through sex and sexuality and sexual favors because it's one way to secure the attachment of the the other person, right? So th- that's really what it was like more for you. You were your sexuality was used as a way to anchor them and pull them in more. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but that was, it was something that I easily slipped into because of my childhood experiences um, that my body was um, something that I could use Mm -hmm. um, because it had been used. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I easily gravitated towards that. So tell me how, you know, we'll go into childhood in a little bit, but first I'm curious, just in your adult life, how did the relational addictions begin? You know, it was, yeah. were they always there? Did it get awakened suddenly? What was that yeah, like for you? Yeah. So it really, my story kind of with that started about six years ago. Um, my husband and I had been married for seven years. We had just had our third baby um, and we were living in Houston at the time and at the time, um, we, my husband worked in the church, um, in an Episcopal church, he was a youth pastor. Um, and we had kind of this set framework for our marriage of, of the, the morals and the expectations. And, um, I went into our marriage completely codependent on him yeah. and, mm-hmm. and he did as well. We were really enmeshed in a very unhealthy way. And our marriage was always very difficult because of that. Um, and then, you know, add on, we had three kids in three and a half years, and that was not planned. 
because we're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and I was completely overwhelmed being home with these three babies and he was in ministry. Mm. And, um, and so everything just came to a head six years ago when, um, I discovered, uh, that he had a very significant pornography addiction Mm -hmm. and it just rocked me. Um, and this wasn't the first time, you know, I had discovered porn Mm -hmm. um in his life but it was definitely the last time that i was willing to put up with it Mm. um and so we went through a really intense um six to nine month process of him um lying to me over and over and over again saying he was getting treatment saying he was getting help still using um and it just it just devastated me and Mm. um by the time we went through this whole process process of disclosure and therapy, um, I realized, um, I needed him to get out of ministry. If we were going to stay married together, we needed to move. We needed to start over. Um, and so we ended up coming back to the town that we, we lived in. And, um, and by the time we moved back, it had been about a year. Um, I, I was under so much chronic stress for so long. Um, my body chemistry was, (laughs) complete mess. I had to be medicated for depression and anxiety. Um, and I just, I really wanted to just give up on our marriage. Um, I felt stuck financially because, um, I was a stay at home mom at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have any family, any support, um, in my state to help me. So I felt um, really stuck. So long story short, um, we did move back, um, to try to get more support to be around family. Um, but I, I had kind of given up at that point. Um, and so, um, the first opportunity that kind of presented itself, um, in in an extra, you know, extramarital relationship, I just, I just went for it. Um, looking back throughout my life, I've always been chasing men, um, even as a child, um, always chasing their, their attention, um, their affection. Um, I didn't meet my biological dad until I was two. Mm. And so those first two years of life, I didn't have a male in my life. And mm. I've, as, as I've gone to school and I've understood attachment, I'm, I'm recognizing um, what a deep hole I had um, in that male figure. So um, I'm going to so, yeah. pause you there for a minute. Yeah. Because there, there's so much just in the little piece of your story. Um, the first question I have for you is your experience around the discovery of the pornography and your willingness to be a support or not during that period. Because I'm curious for the partner's perspective, like the last episode was about the addict, addict, the person who's addicted, their, their perspective. As a partner, what was that like for you? Did you support him in that? Did you understand it? Like, what was that whole experience for you when you discovered his addiction? Yeah. I wish I was in a healthier state when we went through that because mm-hmm. it would have saved us, me, and a lot of other people. It would have saved a lot of heartache, but I wasn't. Um, I, mm-hmm. I was a very insecure and fearful person because as much as I had been in counseling before and talked about my childhood and all these issues I had, I hadn't processed the trauma. Mm. Um, talk therapy will only take you so far. So mm-hmm. I thought going into my marriage, like, oh, I've done so much work, mm-hmm. but I hadn't. 
Um, and so his pornography addiction felt very threatening to me. It felt, um, it made me feel that I was um, not good enough, unwanted, mm-hmm. unworthy. I took it very personal. Um, and I, you know, looking looking back now, years now, later of all this experience and wisdom I have and, and um, education around the topic, um, I know it wasn't about me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it was all about me at the time. Mm-hmm. And oh, mm-hmm. um, I really villainized him. I was horrible. I was not a supportive wife. I shamed him. I made him feel absolutely like the biggest failure in the world. Um, it, it's a miracle that he, you know, he had a support group, a, a therapeutic support group he was a part of. And I think that really gave him life because I was just giving him a lot of, a lot of death at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I really love your, um, just your honesty and your awareness. And I want to, I want to say for that, for you, for that era and anyone listening who has or is responding the way you did then took it really personally. It was really angry. It was villainizing. That's nothing to judge yourself about. You know, I, I don't know if you are, I don't know where you are in that process of healing that, that, that part of you, like having compassion for you. But I just wanted to say, you know, out loud, that's part of the process is like, if you aren't aware of, of, of projection work, you're not aware of inner child work and being triggered and the nervous system, we're going to see what our partners do. And we're going to, like you just said, relate our, <clears throat> relate our worth and identity to their actions. And that's where so much uh, suffering comes out of watching a partner go through any addiction. It can be a mo- money, it can be sex, it can be porn, it can be food, but we're going to take it as I'm not enough. And so I wonder for you, how are you with that part of yourself when you think about her now? Yeah. Oh God, that's been one of the biggest parts of my work that I've had to do is um, that compassion, that tenderness towards myself. Um, and doing the inner child work. I mean, I had never even heard that phrase a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I talk about it all the time. And, um, you know, because of the people that I've hurt and the shame that I have really wrestled with for these past five years because of my affairs, um, it, it has been life or death. Like, I have to forgive myself. I have mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. compassion on myself. Because if I don't, I will sink into a black hole of despair. That's right. Um, and so that's that's definitely it, it's it's. I'm still working on that. I mean, I'll, I'll probably work on that forever. I think that that's an important piece. Just when I hear that word villainized, mm-hmm. like the way you villainized him for the pornography, I'm sure you villainized yourself for the affairs. Oh gosh, yeah. Right, and I, that that um, that experience of villainizing someone else or the self just creates more shame. And then we all know through addictive cycles that shame feeds more addiction. So it's just, if you want someone to be more addicted, shame them, right? If you want them to be less addicted, love them. And love them doesn't even mean you have to stay with them. Because I really believe if you don't have the capacity to support somebody, especially with a sex or porn addiction, which is really hard when you're in an intimate relationship, you're allowed to not have the capacity. But to add the shame is just going to add to the addiction. And that's good for people to understand. Is that your experience with yourself as well? Oh, absolutely. I've used the, I was reading back through my journals earlier and I, I used the word um, villain a lot and the word monster to describe mm. myself during those mm. years mm-hmm. um, because I truly felt evil and wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it was interesting growing up. I always, I wouldn't have said I'm a victim, but I conceptualized myself as I was victimized by other people and I was the innocent one and other people did really crappy things to me. And then to have the script switched on me mm-hmm. and to be the villain and to be the one who was hurting people. Um, I, I saw everything black and white. I'm either the victim or I'm the villain. And I had to realize and grapple with over the course of you know the past five years that I am neither or I am both, but um, there's freedom in realizing that I'm not just one or the other. Mm. I really relate to that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear your, your input here. Where, where I go with that is we all have potential to be one or the other. And we tend to be, and I'm just going to use the words for the sake of we're using the word villain. I don't actually believe in villains, but if we just to use the duality of it, to become a villain, you have to, you can only have unconscious pain, right? You can't consciously be a villain. And people will hear that and say, well, of course you can. People go out wanting to kill or hurt or cheat or whatever. But, and I want your, this is where I want your input. When you were in the midst of the affairs, I'm sure there was so much shutdown and so much guilt and so much dissociation. And that's what actually allows you to continue it, right? Tell me about that for you. That's absolutely right. Um, uh, having experienced what I did, living through what I did to other people has completely changed the way I see humanity. Mm. Um, I, when I see someone who, you know, our society would say is evil or bad or broken, um, I see myself now. Um, and I see that I never intentionally woke up one day and said, I'm going to tear apart these marriages or I'm going to destroy that little girl, you know, or I'm going to do this or that. Um, I, I was very disassociated for probably a good five years. Um, well, to be honest, a lot of my life. Um, but, but yeah, when I was, when I was going through those affairs, I lived in, in a dreamlike state where reality wasn't a thing. Um, consequences weren't a thing. Um, and I was completely disconnected, um, from myself, from, from my true self. See, that's the key right there where you just said is just want to highlight that for everyone listening and to let you feel those emotions as they speak. It, it's it's like um like I was disconnected from myself. I I really am with you with that thing where you look at someone who's being villainized or called evil. And once you've gone through it yourself, you can see that's just someone disconnected from themselves. Does it make it okay? No, but it makes it understandable. You can understand it, which means you know how to treat it then. And you know how to to not engage in it if you're the the one being abused or something. Um, But I'm curious for you, it's like when you say, when we were talking about, um, I have both, right? Like good and evil. And again, I see, I see it almost like when we think of epigenetics, then we think of um, a certain food will turn on or turn off diabetes, let's say. Mm-hmm. I see the exact same thing here with this duality. Because if you have trauma that's unresolved and you have shame and you're dissociated, then it turns on all your possibilities to, quote, do evil, right? Yeah. But then when you get in touch and you get embodied, you physically can't handle the pain of hurting someone. And so you don't. So... What, I'm curious, you're saying affairs. 
And so how, how many affairs were you a part of? <clears throat> yeah. Um, I had three um, in an 18 month period. Um, so it was pretty fast and furious. Um, mm-hmm. All simultaneously or like one so, after the other? Yeah, one after the other. The first one only lasted for about a month until it was found out. Um, and then I went to therapy afterwards because um, I was like, what am I doing with mm-hmm. my life? Like, who mm-hmm. am I? I had also uh, walked away from my faith during mm-hmm. this time with my husband's recovery. Um, and I was very disillusioned with my faith. Um, and, and that had been a foundation for me for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um so I went to counseling um, and worked with an amazing counselor, but still wasn't really ready to deal with the root issues. And so then um, another affair started um, and each one was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a different um, kind of dynamic to it. Um, and, you know, that one lasted for about five months and then it ended. Um, and then... <laughs> And then I did more therapy. Um, and by the time the third one um, happened, it, it had become an addiction. I mean, mm-hmm. all, all this other person needed to say was, um, I desire you, mm-hmm. I have feelings for you, um, I prefer you over X, Y, or Z. Um, and it just lit up my brain. And I, I wasn't even really attracted to these people. Um, I would never have, you know, pursued them like if I was single it was it was it was the unmet need that I had as a child of being wanted because mm. I never I didn't feel wanted mm-hmm. that was lighting up my brain that's and right that is what was intoxicating and and I use the word addiction very purposely when I'm talking to people because it was like I've never been a drug addict but I I can understand I can really empathize what it feels like to be so out of control of your body that your brain literally goes offline and you're, you have the shakes to just get this, this need met, mm-hmm. you know, to get that next high. That's right. That's really that difference of, that's how I try to explain it for people too, how it's so biochemical, yes. right? It, it doesn't have to be, people think it's just substance related, mm-hmm. but it, it's just any, you know, the body is a substance and all a substance does like a chemical substance is it transforms your own chemistry, but that's what mind does too. So when you go into a, like when you said you lit up, if someone would say you're the most beautiful one or you're the one I love the most, or I'd leave any of them for you just to hear that, that promise of secure attachment, just lit up the nervous system and that adrenaline and that those endorphins and that rush, the same thing as cocaine or coffee or, you know, not the rush from alcohol, but the dependence on something to shift your nervous system up or down, right? And yours, it shifted you up. It made you feel alive. And so I'm like, I'm, so by the third one in the moment of the third one, were you aware I'm addicted or not until after? Yeah, I did. You were aware. Okay. I did. And it was... Um interesting to have that awareness and still be okay with it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that um that I very much was aware that I was manipulating the situation to get my needs met Mm -hmm. despite how hurtful it was to the people involved that shows you the depth of uh, desperation that was there Yeah, yeah 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 now when you the thing that that made me want to reach out to you um, 
was one, I loved having a woman's perspective on um, cheating and any kind of sex or relationship addiction. But I also was really interested in how you said you, you realized then that there was a childhood, a trauma or traumas that were being unconsciously acted out through these affairs. So I'm interested in that. What, what, when did you discover that? What was, what was the discovery? What was the link? Yeah. Um, so talking about um, the childhood sexual abuse is, is fairly recent for me. I actually, um, during quarantine in April, um, finally broke down and told my parents for the first time um, the, the scope of, of what I had experienced. Um, and I didn't, you know, I knew that I had daddy issues and I knew that, um, you know, I had, I had some, some things going on throughout my time in counseling that I was the most significant poignant moment for me was, um, I was at this place that has this, um, device called Nucom. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. N-U-C-A-L-M. And it's this, it's this amazing little bit of technology that uses neuroscience and it's, it's really, I'll, I'll butch it. So you just have to go look it up yourself, but basically it helps your um, nervous system get into the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time I had been struggling with panic attacks and my mm-hmm. nervous system was a hot mess. And so I was researching tons of different alternatives to medication to try to get my nervous system regulated. And so I went and did this thing and you put on these, um, these, uh, uh, headphones and, um, mask and eye mask. And they put this like gather cream on you. And then you listen to this acoustic music mm-hmm. that, um, helps you like come down to a, a more regulated place. And so it was about 30 minutes into this. I got into like a very trance-like state because it's supposed to take like your brain waves from like a beta to like an alpha or theta kind of place. So you, it's like when you're first falling asleep, but you're conscious. And mm-hmm. so I was in this very meditative state and my brain was just processing things that, you know, I, I wasn't, it was almost like EMDR, the way your brain can kind of process things. Um, and I, and it just hit me and I realized I had three affairs and I was molested by three people as a child. And that number three just came up for me and Mm. it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, Holy crap. I was acting out my abuse in these affairs. Mm. And I had no, I was not conscious of that at all. I had no awareness of that. Um, and so it was that moment that I realized you know what? And really that helped me have so much compassion and empathy for myself in that moment when I realized it wasn't the 35 year old woman walking around having affairs. It was that six year old child who was desperately trying to figure out how to feel safe and how to feel wanted. Mm -hmm. And my, my 35 year old body was was finding this way because it was easy and I mm-hmm. and, and it would work but really the deeper need was um, my inner child was begging and screaming to be to be taken care of and to be wanted and when you tell me that like what does it feel like to to 
because in that moment when you're doing that that new calm when you're in that trance state and then this came through it's like that was a somatic experience versus oh, just the intellect crying. yeah what was that like with the feeling oh hot tears streaming down my face i mean it was it was life-changing if i mean i i don't know like it was just it was very profound mm-hmm. and i when that was over i got up and i was like wow like the veil had just been kind of lifted and um you know what's so beautiful about that um especially when you said about the six-year-old, it wasn't the 35-year-old, it was the six-year-old. I find that with a lot of people I've worked with over the years, when we get in touch with the the root traumas in childhood, like you said, that are being acted out through a different addictive behaviors as adults, when you can actually somatically feel the child body within you, you actually lose the desire to act out anymore because you don't want to hurt that child, yeah, right? You and was that parent them and care correct. for them and protect them yourself? Is that what happened for you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, for me, I I had very um, my parents were very dysregulated people. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know how um, to feel safe in my body as a child, um, and I was always looking for other people to help me feel safe. Mm-hmm. And um, and so these affairs with these men, um, that was one of, one of my biggest needs is security, is feeling safe because I felt so fearful and so unsafe as a child because of, um, you know, different circumstances. And so when I realized what was happening, it was like this sudden empowerment to parent that child and say, oh, I actually don't need other people mm. to make me feel safe and to care for me and to make me feel wanted. I can do this for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was almost like like this new part of myself was born, mm-hmm. this protector, this nurturer um, that I thought I needed to get from other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. When I, I love the word reparenting so much. I use it a lot myself because I really believe that, you know, we talk about in the somatic world, we talk about co-regulation mm-hmm. and that's when the nervous system attunes to another being and finds some safety in them. And I find what, what reparenting does is it's, it's as if, um, I wouldn't even say it's as if, that 35-year-old nervous system of the woman starts to give that six-year-old nervous system somewhere to co-regulate within itself. Yeah. So even though it's self-regulation technically, it's this co-regulation between these two characters. Okay. And right, and then from because then the six year old has you, doesn't need this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy or this drug and this drug. It has you, and then the mechanism becomes obsolete. And that's so much more more profound than abstinence. Um, I really respect abstinence. I know for some people it's like absolutely necessary to stay clear, but when you when you heal the mechanism, and then the addiction's obsolete you don't even need willpower, right? You just don't have the desire to do it anymore. That's right. Well, there's been times, you know, even I have to be careful, like going forward, because I know that looking for that outside of myself is, is a weakness or can be a temptation. Um, there's times where I'll, I'll start to notice something bubble up and, and I'll start to have this like third eye where I'm looking around and I'm like, and then it, it stops me in my tracks and I'm like, mm. whoa, you know, like, I don't know that that will, I mean, I'm sure it'll, it'll probably go away. And it's, it's only been three years since my mm-hmm. last affair. So this is all still very fresh. It's very fresh. been doing a lot of work. Um, but I, it stops me in my tracks and I'm like, whoa, 
no, like I got to turn that eye inward and, and look into myself because I'm aware now that when I feel that little itch or that little, you know, um, Mm. that little bit of like longing, Mm -hmm. um, now I'm aware to stop and say, what is my body trying to say to me? What is it lacking? What can I give myself? Whereas before I would feel that itch and I'd just be like, okay, who can feel this? Yes. You have the more of a pause between the reaction and the sensation. And you, that we know you just said is the perfect um, experience and the answer to the question when people say, well, why do I want to feel my trauma? You know, we want to feel our trauma because when you, when you have that embodiment, then you have the, the embodiment, those sensations, they become the, the alarms. They become yeah. the really early red flags, right? But when we don't have those, we don't even know that's happening. And then there we are in the arms of somebody we don't even like because right. we just want safety. That's right. So that's, that's how you feel it too. Yeah. And I've, I've learned, you know, growing up when you have, when you, when you have sexual abuse as a child and then um, my experience in the church, um, and this isn't everyone's experience, but this is how I internalized it. Um, my body was bad. My body was not safe. Um, and my body could not be trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for most of my life up until the past few years, um, did not like my body, did not um, listen to my body. Um, I, I, um, I punished my body. Um, and so now I, I, the, like I, when I, as a practitioner, as a practitioner, embodiment is huge to me um, because I'm realizing that my body is my greatest teacher. Um, and so when I, when I have, you know, I, I mean, I still struggle with anxiety and working through it. When I start to feel tense in my body, when I start to feel anxious, um, I have to pause and say, what does my body need right now? What is my body trying to communicate? Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, that, I mean, that itself has been life-changing. Oh, it's huge and it's endless, that, right? Yeah, to know that my body is 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 the greatest mentor, the greatest therapist, the great you mean all the answers I need are in my body. I completely and I really love it brings me so much joy to know that and we'll talk a little bit about the work that you do, but it brings me joy that you're that you you have you and I have very similar paths um, and experiences too. the the addictive styles, the childhood sexual abuse, like very, very reflective of mine. Mm -hmm. So I can really relate to this and empathize with it. And I I feel like um, when you were just saying about the teacher, the body being the greatest teacher or therapist, it's like the body's language is not language. That's that's the mind. The body's language is sensation. And so when you learn the nuance and you learn how to follow and feel safe following those sensations, like in that moment when you were in the trance, the sensations led you right to those three sexual abuses. Mm-hmm. And then it gave you this awareness of, oh, that connects me. And so the same thing happens day to day where you're walking down the street and you start noticing your shoulders go up. And it's not about being neurotic. It's about, okay, my body is telling me something. Let me listen, right? Then you follow and you learn something new about yourself. And for you to offer that, that uh, embodiment practice to your clients just from your own body even, that creates a very safe space and co-regulated space for them, which is huge, which is better than giving anyone advice even, just to Absolutely. feel that. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's empowering them to go forth and, and not need you know, us anymore. Yes. Um, that they, they are their greatest teachers. You know? Yes. 
Absolutely. So what, what is the work that you do? <laughs> well, I'm not working right now. Um, so because of COVID, um, in March, I was home with my children, mm-hmm. homeschooling, and then summer hit and I was home with them. Um, I actually just uh, graduated last year um, with my master's. And because of COVID, it took forever for me to get my license. And so um, I haven't actually yet began my work. Um, but I'm finally at a place where, you know, the kids are back in school and mm-hmm. I'm able to begin that. So I'm actually looking for a job right now. <laughs> how do you envision your work? Like, what is it that you want to do? Um, what, how do you want to show up to people or what's your title? You know, tell us that. Yeah. Um, so I'll be an LPC associate and I'm really just looking for a place where I can, uh, well, obviously I'm passionate about trauma. Um, I'm passionate um, about working with women and children. Um, and I really would love to find a place where I'm able to take more of a holistic approach, um, to treating these things. Um, I definitely want to, um, become certified at EMDR, um, because that's been a game changer for me personally. Um, and just really continuing my work with mindfulness, um, with using a lot of the somatic tools that I've learned in my own work, um, and being able to offer those to clients. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm not in a rush, but I'm just waiting for the right door to open. Mm-hmm. Um, and where, where, what state are you in? I'm in Texas. Texas. Okay. So anyone in Texas <laughs> listening to this, <laughs> Nicole needs a job <laughs> she, and she's done her work. <laughs> Reach out to her. Oh, I've just, I've really enjoyed this conversation and, um, your experience and your, courage to speak about it for the first time publicly it's really beautiful um no thank you so much it's it's been really lovely having you on Uh, i appreciate it well i hope you enjoyed today's episode my question for you is where do you feel the episode take a breath and just notice what's your body doing right now Sit with it, let it speak to you, and let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen, for all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. For more information on my work, including my online courses and healing circles, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, where I share weekly philosophies and resources to help you release stress and trauma from your body so that you can live a happier life. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving. 
as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.